Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Good morning, church. How is everybody? So good to see so many smiling faces. Welcome to everyone in person. Those of you laying out on the beach, we miss you and... Hope you're enjoying your vacation. This is July, the month where everyone gets the last minute vacations out. We're going to be in Matthew 14, so go ahead and turn there. And again, welcome to all of our guests and those watching online. Uh, We're doing a a July sermon series called Summer Together. And just these are a few standalone sermons, kind of messages that Lord's laid on my heart. And then in August, we pick back up in the book of Acts where we've only got four chapters left. We're right at the finish line. So looking forward to finishing that with you. As you turn to Matthew 14. How many of you have ever caught that giant fish before? All right, some of you have. How many of you are still waiting for that elusive catch of the day? Uh, this picture on the screen is my brother David. He is an amateur professional fisherman. Amateur meaning he doesn't do it for a living, but everywhere he goes, he catches a ton of fish. And this this was caught this week. He's, I think, in Florida somewhere fishing. So um, he took me a while back. Uh, this is probably several years back, we went to a place backwoods of Haywood County. As you approach Tennessee, there's a place called Waterville. How many of you have ever heard of Waterville, North Carolina? I, I had never heard of it either, but it's back roads, and you have to like go off the main grid, and it's, it's almost like you're reliving a, the movie Deliverance. I mean, sketchy back roads. You don't know someone's going to come out with a shotgun. So we, we found this place that we, we were allowed to go you know, launch a little John boat, so it was a nice day, much like today, sunny, really pretty, and we're catching fish, and all is well in paradise, except it was one of those summer storms that starts coming down. We've had a lot of those lately, and the boat, just within 30 minutes, it starts raining and raining, cats and dogs are falling out of the sky, I mean, it's just, the boat is filling up with water, and Dave and I look at each other, I don't know what to do, I'm the novice, and he's the professional, he's like, we got to scoop the water out, so... He has one of these little plastic buckets, and I don't remember what I had. I think I was using my hands, but we started scooping the water out because if the John boat sinks, then we're sunk. And that means our fishing, his efficient equipment, all that's ruined. So after a while of scooping the water out, we finally, the, the rain stops, and I actually caught the fish of the day, believe it or not. I caught the biggest fish of the day, and I lived to tell about it. So that's my fishing story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, so we're going to look in a passage, many of you who grew up in church, you've heard this passage before, but it's about a group of disciples, four of them at least are professional fishermen, and they got in a much worse storm than David and I found ourselves in. This was a storm on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level, and what happens geographically speaking is the cold mountain air blows through the lower valleys. And since it's below sea level, that cold mountain air hits the warmer air below, and that creates the potential for major storms. So these disciples, who were professional fishermen, at least four of them, were used to violent storms. But this one seems to be a little more violent than the others, because they're afraid, and they're fearful for their lives. And it seems like this storm is going to sink them in their boat. And to make matters worse, in the scripture we're going to read, Jesus is not with them in the boat. 
They had been in previous storms, but Jesus was with them. Remember the story where they woke him up? Jesus was asleep on a pillow. And they're like, Jesus, wake up, get off the pillow, help us. So what I want to ask you is, what storm are you in? And if you're in a storm, I want to encourage you that Jesus is calling you today to be a wet water walker. I'll say that again. He wants you to be a wet water walker. So we're going to discover the story of Peter. He wasn't a dry boat talker, but he was a wet water walker. So let's turn to Matthew 14. And again, welcome online. We're going to start in verse 22. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before them to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain to pray by himself. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on the water. And Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray your blessing on it. And God, we don't want to be a dry boat talker, but we want to be a wet water walker. So, Lord, help us to know what it's like to take a step of crazy faith out of that boat. Help us, no matter what storm we're in, to see that you call our name and you are the Christ of the storm. So, Lord, I pray for everyone who's in a storm right now and their marriages and their family and their finances and their health. Maybe it's a storm of being alone or feeling loneliness that, God, they would encounter you, the Christ of the storm, as you call out their name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What I want to do is I want to present a passage many of you are familiar with, and I want to present it from a different perspective. You know, you could present it from Jesus' perspective. You could present it from the leaven in the boat's perspective. But I want to give you the perspective of Peter. If we would have a conversation with Peter today, what kind of advice would he give us? So today's message is called The Adventures of a Wet Water Walker. And I want to give you five confessions that we can learn. Number one is the adventure is fueled by private prayer. The adventure is fueled by private prayer. So Jesus got away for private prayer. And the question is why? Jesus, why would you get away? Well, if you look at the surrounding context, Jesus had just fed 5,000 men besides women and children. So if you do the math, if every guy had a wife and one child, it's really the miracle of 15 to 20,000. 
So they had fed all these people. And Jesus also was really troubled in heart because John the Baptist, his cousin, has just had his head chopped off by Herod. So his cousin has died. Jesus is trying to get away. But when he gets away, the crowd meets him. He feeds he feeds the mass multitude. So Jesus gets away. He sends the crowd away and he sends the disciples away. Now, what's interesting, if you were to go to a church growth class today, they would say something like, listen, when you've got the crowds, you don't want to send them away. You want to develop momentum. You want the crowds to continue to grow. But Jesus didn't go to the church growth class, right? He didn't need it. He was God. But Jesus sent the crowds away because he knew the preeminence and importance of prayer. When you look at Jesus' prayer life, he was intentional. He said, crowds, go away. We'll meet again. Disciples, I'm going to send you on the other side of the lake. Jesus was persistent and passionate about his prayer life. Now, the gospel writer wants you to know that it was the fourth watch of the night. Does anybody know what time that is? Between three to six, yes. So the Romans had a system, four watches in the night. The first watch was six to nine p.m., 9 p.m. to midnight, which some of you non-owls go to bed at midnight, second watch. Third watch is 12 to 3 a.m., and then fourth watch was 3 to 6. What's fascinating, Jesus sends the crowds away, and he spends the entire evening and all night in prayer. Jesus was a person who realized the importance of prayer. Now, here's the question. If Jesus is God in the flesh, and he realized the importance of prayer, how much more should we realize the importance of prayer? I wonder how many fourth watch warriors do we have out there? Like Jesus later on tells his disciples in the garden, could you not stay awake for one hour and pray? Because he set the example. He was the guy that would pray. So sometimes you've got to realize if you want to go on the adventure of a lifetime, the adventure is fueled by private prayer. Private prayer gives place for public ministry. The second adventure of a wet water walker is number two. It's launched by the storms of life. Look at verse 24. It says, now the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So while Jesus was having a great night in prayer, the disciples were struggling in the sea. While Jesus was connecting with communion with God, the disciples were in this battle of struggle. Have you ever been there? It seems like others are doing well, but you're struggling. Others are on the mountaintop experience, but you're in the storm. Is anybody like that today? Jesus was praying and the disciples were struggling. Warren Wearsby, who's now with the Lord, he said it so well. I want to present it to you. He said there's two storms that the disciple faces. The first storm is the storm of correction. And the second storm is the storm of perfection. Wearsby said storms of Correction is whenever you bring it upon yourself. Think about Jonah. Jonah rebelled against God and what happened? The storm came upon Jonah. Storms of correction are for discipline. You brought it on yourself. But then there are other storms of perfection. These are people following God. These are people doing God's will. And storms of perfection are meant to help you grow. So here's a question you've got to ask yourself if you're in a storm. What if the storm that God has sent in my way... What if God is sending it not to destroy me, but to develop me? What if this storm is helping me to grow? So what I want to encourage you is storms are intended for a purpose. After the storm comes promotion. 
After the storm comes a realized promise of God. After the storm comes experiencing God in intimate ways like never before. How do you know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace until you've had to go through the storm and he had to quiet your waters? How do you know that Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother than when you feel alone and you needed a friend? How do you know that Jesus is the God who heals unless you are in need of healing? How do you know that he's the friend that's always going to leave you, never leave you, always will be with you? He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How do you know until you've gone through the storm? Romans 5, 3 and 4, we have on the screen here. Paul says that we rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Paul's there. When's the last time you thank God for a storm you're in? When's the last time you gave thanks for a trial you're in? That sounds counterintuitive, Paul, but he goes on to say, here's the reason why. Because we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So I want you to know that the storm you're in is for reason. Third confession. What would Peter say if he could talk to us today? He would say the adventure is tested in the dark of night. Look back in verse 25. It says in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Now, the disciples find themselves in a storm without their savior in the boat. And you can imagine the intrepidation. You can imagine the fear they experience. But here's a little challenge with storms. It's easy when you're in the middle of a storm to lose perspective. It's easy to experience storm stinking thinking. Can I tell you a story of what happened this week? My wife, uh, she's in the nursery right now with, with, with all the church kids. But uh, she had a doctor's appointment this Thursday. So she had me watch the three youngest, uh, Grace, who's almost two, Gabriel and Lincoln. So they came, she dropped them off the church office and the kids were so wild. I'm like, if I leave them at the church office, no one's going to get any work done. So I took them down to Fletcher Park while she's in the doctor's appointment. And we did the playground, but it was like 90 degrees outside. So we're like, all right, so let's go down to the creek. It cooled off. So all the kids get in the creek and Grace is like, you know, wading up to her knees. She can't obviously swim, not quite too, but the boys are splashing, having a good time. So it's finally her doctor's appointment's ending. It's finally time to meet back up and uh, help the kids meet back up with mommy. So we were like, all right, let's go. So I pick up the baby. All the kids are soaking wet and I'm holding the baby. We're trotting down Fletcher Park and out of nowhere, the boys get this crazy idea. Let's race each other. And you've got to understand, we have a rule since we have some we're outnumbered, obviously, as parents. And we have a rule that there's always got to be an adult Within eye, eye, eye shot, you know, we've got to be able to see you. But the boys in the moment aren't thinking about that. They take off running to see who's the fastest. And they, they take off running so fast. And the next thing I know it, they're gone. Like I've lost the kids at Fletcher Park. They're, they're out of there. And I have the baby and I'm like, I don't know if I should take off running, you know, put the baby like in football mode. So I finally, I finally keep going to the parking lot. And it's every parent's worst nightmare that their kid's going to get hit by a car, right? It's every parent's, oh my goodness, it's going to happen. So as I look, I see Gabriel and Lincoln, and they are in traffic, and cars are stopping. And, you know, there's the road, and there's a parking lot, and they're crossing the road. And I, I I saw a driver look like, where's the parents at? And to make matters worse, make matters worse, I screamed at the top of my voice to get their attention. I used the preacher voice. Gabriel Lincoln, stop! And I'm screaming. 
And there's a church member sitting on a bench right there. <laughs> See the whole, the whole thing. So I wanted to tell the church member, I'm sorry that this normally doesn't happen, but that would be lying. <laughs> so later that, that night, I was just, it was kind of like trauma, you know, because number one, I'm concerned about their lives. What if they had died? But then number two, imagine if something did happen to them, God forbid, how would I face my wife? I was watching the kids on doctor's appointment and, you know, something happened. I, I couldn't face my wife at all. So I, I entered into a state of trauma, believe it or not, uh, because I, that had never happened before. And in 10 years, we had never had a kid almost get hit by a car, or run out in traffic. They've just they've never done that before. And um, so anyways, I, I called a friend and said, man, I, I'm struggling. I don't know what to do. And he encouraged me. And I, I decided I asked the Lord, I was like, do you mind if I get away? I know it's, it's hard to watch all the kids by herself. I really need just to get away because I'm, I'm, I'm hitting a breaking point. So she said, go ahead. So I went, I went on the parkway and I got alone on, on a kind of a little, I, I like to say it was a mountaintop, but it was like more like a hill. And I, I just in the woods and spiderwebs all around me. And I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. And I didn't spend all night praying, but about five or 10 minutes. And I, I gave it to God and I, I went back home. And then the next day it was like his mercies are brand new. And the next day, it's like God renewed me. But in the storm, it's easy to experience storms thinking, thinking. Like, look at the disciples, what they're thinking. Like, Jesus, you're a ghost. Like, they don't have a full understanding of who Jesus is because he's so far away. Perception, he looks like a ghost. And it's kind of fascinating. Some of the sailors of that day had this legend. You know how they have these ghost stories? Well, the legend was if a sailor died at sea, their spirit would haunt the sea. So that's, that was kind of the folklore of that day. So they're like, oh, must be a dead sailor. It's a ghost. So they, they cry out. And one of the things to think about when you're in the storm, one of the greatest temptations that we have is God is not with me. You ever been there? Like, it seems like, man, all this bad stuff is happening to me. Life is spiraling out of control. Some of you went through the divorce. Some of you went through the family situation. Some of you went through the bankruptcy. Some of you went through the health crisis. And at first look, it's like, where is God? Like, I don't see him anywhere. God, where are you? But one of the things to always remember is that God is always with you in the storm. Even though you can't see him, even though you can't feel him, He will never leave you. Jesus, in his own words, in Matthew 28, he says, Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The author of Hebrews says it like this. God himself says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Now, what's fascinating to all of our Bible students out there, this is fascinating. In the back of my mind, I'm like, I remember reading this in another gospel and there's a different take on it. See, the three synoptic gospels have similar views, but different angles. And John has kind of like an eagle's view of everything. But what's interesting, I want us to throw the scripture from Mark up here. This, I, I just, it hit me when I was looking at Mark's account. And I want to read this to you. It's quite fascinating. So he sent them away, same story. They fed the 5,000, sent them away. He departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when the evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea. And I think it may have been John that said it was three to three and a half miles out there. Jesus was alone on the land. Now, look what happens next. Then Jesus saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them. So get this picture. This is this will make you want to shout and dance and scream or cry or whatever your reaction is. While the disciples think that Jesus has left them, they are straining in the sea 
they, they were struggling, feeling like they're going to die. Jesus the entire time is not only praying, but he's looking down because he's in an elevated view. He's on a mountaintop, right? They're 600 feet below sea level. He's elevated and he's God in the flesh. So, he, you know, he has special abilities when, when he taps into that ability that God gives him. But here's, here's, here's the reality is that whenever you are in the storm, it's easy to think that God's not there. It's easy to think that he's left you. And I've got an announcement to make in 2022. Jesus right now currently is not on a mountain in Palestine praying for you like he was then. He's not in the hillside around Galilee right right now. But he is seated on the right hand of God the Father. An even more elevated position. And he's looking down and he's seeing you struggling in the storm. He's seeing you having this anxiety attack he sees you having this temptation he sees you in this trial and you feel like he's not there but he's there all alone and right now he's praying for you so i want to get the parallel jesus was praying for his disciples while they're in the storm and now right now jesus is in heaven and he's praying for you right now when you're in the storm and no matter what you're going through you can believe that he's with you so one of, one of Satan's greatest strategies that he gives us is fear. Satan is a liar. And I love this acrostic. I'm going to bring it back to you. Fear, I want you guys to write this down if you haven't memorized this, but fear is false evidence appearing real. They're like, it's a ghost. It wasn't a ghost. It was Jesus. They're like, we're alone. You're not alone. You're never alone. Jesus is with you. We're going to die no, you're not. God still has a plan. Peter, you still have first and second Peter to write. Matthew, you have the book of Matthew to write. John, you have the gospel of John to write. And Revelation, I'm not through with you yet. You're not going to die in the storm. You're not going to die until it's your time. False evidence appearing real. So Jesus told Peter to step out. And what we've got to see is that sometimes he's going to call you. And that brings us to a fourth confession. Not only does it happen in the dark of night, it was 3 to 6 a.m. when it was the darkest time. But number four, the adventure is experienced by those who te- take a step of crazy faith. Now, in verses 27 through 29, they see what appears to be a ghost. They're thinking it's probably a departed sailor at sea, you know, this phantom. And it's none of those things. And Peter hears the voice of Jesus now, what one pastor brought up, I've never thought about, but the wind is perhaps what carried the voice of Jesus so they could hear it because Jesus is far away. So all of a sudden Jesus talks and the very storm that was meant to destroy them is now God is using it as a transportation system to hear the voice of God. And I want you guys to get that sometimes the things that you thought are going to destroy you, God is going to use to speak to you. It's going to be a transportation system. The very winds that were going to rock their boat and destroy them are the very winds that is carrying the voice of Jesus in the midst of the storm. So Peter, he hears Jesus. First of all, let's look at what Jesus says. First of all, he says, be courageous. He says, be of good cheer. See, when you feel like you're going to sink in a storm, you feel like this is the end of it, you lose courage. But God is the one who speaks courage in the midst of your nightmare. You can be certain. Jesus says, it is I. Some Bible scholars have looked at this and it's reminded them of Exodus 3.14 where God appeared to Moses. And he said, well, who, 
Who's going to say when, I, when you say you sent me, who sent you, Moses? And God says, you can tell them that I am has sent you. I am that I am. And when you see Jesus saying, it is I, some scholars think this is Jesus' claim to deity. I am. Who are you? It's me. I'm the one in the storm. And you can also be fearless. He said, do not be afraid. So when Peter hears this, his faith was strengthened in the storm. And notice what he does next in the scripture. He says, Lord, if it's you, and I want you to hear his voice echoing along the Sea of Galilee. Lord, 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 if it's you, 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 command me to come now, now, now. And Jesus says, come. And Peter hears that voice. He hears that word. And I want to ask you this. What would you do? If Jesus gave you the command to do something that no one had ever done in human history, up to this point in human history, apart from Jesus, nobody had ever walked on water. Yeah, frozen water, but I'm talking about liquid water. No one had ever walked on water before. Yes, the Israelites walked through the sea, through the Red Sea, through the Jordan River, but that was on dry land. Nobody had actually done a miracle to walk upon the water. What would it be like? If you, like Peter, had the faith to say, Jesus, command me to do something that no one's ever done before. Have you ever asked Jesus to use you to do something that no one has ever done before in human history? If not, why, why not? What if, what if you're in the medical field today, maybe you work at the hospital. What if you said, Jesus, help me to develop a cure for cancer? What if you're in the tech industry and you said, Jesus, help me to develop an app or website That's going to get the gospel to people that have never heard. What if you asked Jesus to command you to do something that no one else done before? Wouldn't that be crazy faith? Notice Jesus' response. It's one word. What was it? Someone tell me. He said, come. Notice that Jesus gave Peter direction without giving him the details. See, Peter didn't know the laws of buoyancy. He didn't know like, you know, the law of buoyancy is whenever you you step into a liquid Like your weight is dispersed. He didn't know the laws of buoyancy. He didn't know like how do I how do I walk when I when I step out of the boat, Jesus, like when I get out of the boat, is it one leg in front of the other? Is it moonwalk? Is it like what is it like he he didn't understand (laughs) what to do. So here's the thing. When Jesus gives you the command to do something, sometimes he'll give you direction without all the details. How many of you are detailed people today? You want like the 10 page syllabus of what to do. You know, Abraham, when God called him out of the year of Chaldees, he didn't give him all the details. He said, go, leave your family, leave all this, go to Atlanta. I'll show you. Well, God, where do you want me to go? Just step out. You'll know when you get, you'll know as you go. So here's the thing. When Jesus calls your name, he may not give all the details, but he gives the direction. And by the way, on a side note, this wasn't Peter's last time in the water. If you remember at the end of Jesus' ministry when he paid the penalty for sin, died on the cross, rose again. John 21, we find Peter in a boat again. This time, Jesus is on the shore, not in the sea. And as soon as they realize it's Jesus, what does Peter do? He dives into the water and he swims. So for Peter, it wasn't the mode of transportation or the method of transportation. It was, I want to get to Jesus. 
And I want to encourage us as Christians, as church leaders, sometimes as Christians we fall in love with a certain method of getting to Jesus or bringing people to Jesus. And what we've got to realize, it's not the method, it's the motive and it's the heart of I'm getting to Jesus. I'm getting to Jesus. So as a church, we have to constantly think through our methods. How do we get people to Jesus? How do we bring people to Jesus? Peter, one time he was walking on water. The other time it was the method of swimming through the water. So don't fall in love with the methods of ministry, but stay in love with the pursuit of who you're pursuing, the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. So where was Peter going? Why did Peter take this big step of faith? Someone tell me. Why, why, why was he going in the water? He wanted to go to Jesus. So here's the thing. Walking on water is kind of fascinating miracle. But the motive was not to like experience a miracle. The motive was I want to get to Jesus. I want to be closer to him. So here's the thing. In your life personally, you may have a walking on water experience, like something great happened in your life. Like for those of you who are single, you may have a dating relationship. But here's the thing. Dating relationship is can be a great thing. But if it doesn't bring you closer to Jesus, it's not a great thing. You may be an entrepreneur. You want to start a business. That can be a great thing. But if it doesn't bring you closer to Jesus, it's not a great thing. For those of you who have kids, you may want your kids to be in travel league or band. All those are great things unless it doesn't bring you closer to Jesus. So in all of life, I want you to think about Jesus not just as first, which he is, but he's the center of your life. And if my actions and reactions don't bring me closer to Jesus, I don't want to take that step, no matter how great the opportunity may be. Amen. But another aspect is that make sure that you're one of the people that takes the step out of the boat. When Peter took the step out of the boat, there were 11 back in the boat. I would rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat talker. I would rather be someone that makes a chance to step out. And what I want to ask you is, what is God calling you towards? As a, as a Christian, what is he calling you to? What, what is that crazy step of faith? As a church, I think God is calling us to some pretty exciting things. As you drive along Sweeten Creek and Hendersonville Highway and Airport Road, and you see bumper-to-bumper traffic, how many of you enjoy that? Said no, but one person, right? So here's the thing. I, I get frustrated too, but at the same time, I hear that still small voice in my head saying, Timothy, these are the people you guys get to reach. Did you know if you draw about a five-mile radius, there's about 60,000 people within this church, within five miles. And pre-COVID, it was at least 70% of them did not go to church. Post-COVID, that number probably is 80-plus percent. So eight out of ten people probably don't go to church anywhere post-COVID. So here's the thing. I see that as an opportunity that... Yeah, it's bumper to bumper, but man, what a mission field we're in. When, when I think about this church, I see a church that's solid in our theology. Like we believe the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We even believe the maps in the back. I mean, we believe it all. So here's the thing. We're solid in our theology, but at the same time, I believe God's called us to be innovative in our methodology. I think there's new ways of reaching people we've never even thought of before. Did you know that you're created by your creator to be creative for your creator? You're created by God to be created for God so that you can point all of God's creations back to their creator. So, God, what are you calling us to do as a church? How can we impact more people? So right now, I want to stir up your faith. I want you to put yourself in Peter's sandals.
what would it take for you to take that step of crazy faith when Jesus calls your name? The final confession. Peter, what would you tell us from your perspective? How do we become a wet water walker instead of a dry boat talker? Number five, the adventure is kept alive by keeping our eyes on who? On Jesus in the midst of the storm. Now, verse 30. But when the wind, Peter saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, what's interesting about this, Peter began to sink, but he was never sunk. Peter was sinking, but he never completely was sunk. Failure is never a person. It's always an event. So I would encourage you, you take that step of faith and you may mess up along the way. You may trip, but fall forward in faith. Get up. Peter took the step of faith, but he began to sink. And he said, the Lord save me. Peter offered one of those 911 prayers. You know what a 911 prayer is? It's short, it's fast, it's urgent. He, three words, Lord, save me. And the scripture says that Jesus reached out his hand immediately and grabbed Peter. And what happened in that moment, Jesus saved Peter from a physical death instantly, right there. As soon as he said, Lord, save me. What Peter did not fully understand yet, as we see later in the Gospels, how he told Jesus, I don't want you to die on the cross. And Jesus rebuked him saying, get behind me, Satan. What he didn't fully understand is just in a matter of a short amount of time, Jesus was going to stretch forth the other hand. Not just to physically save Peter, but eternally save Peter. We serve the Savior who stretches out his hand and he stretches out his hands. Lord, save me. So he, he reached out and he saved Peter. Now, here's, here's a problem in the scripture. I don't know if this has ever bothered you. But after Peter did this miracle that no human being had ever done except Jesus, Jesus rebukes Peter. He says, oh, you of what? You just walked on water. You just did a miracle. You just overcame the laws of buoyancy. How was this little, little? I mean, one small step for man, one great step for mankind. I mean, how was this little? This is huge. And here's the thing as you wrestle with it. Peter's faith was not little in the sense that he experienced a miracle. He had enough faith to experience a miracle. Didn't Jesus say if you had a little faith, you could move a mountain? That's little faith. So what was Jesus talking about? It wasn't little as far as experiencing God moving mountains or walking on water. It was little in the sense of duration. Peter's faith was large enough to experience a miracle, but it wasn't big enough for him to continue in the miracle. So it's not so much how you start. That's important. But it's also how you continue. I have seen so many great people in my day. They start off so strong and they're like, they're like a superstar for Jesus and they're, they're doing amazing things. And then you talk to them next year and they're, they're no longer walking on the water. They're no longer experiencing it. I've seen other people, they're not really flashy or, you know, you don't think they're making a huge impact. But 50 years later, they're still at it. They're taking small step by small step walking with Jesus. So I want to encourage you, as Gene Peterson once said a long, long time ago, he's now with the Lord. He says, obedience if you think about obedience and faithfulness, faithfulness to God, what is faithfulness? He said, faithfulness is obedience, long obedience in the same direction, long obedience in the same direction. It's like I'm going to continue day after day, step after step, taking steps of faith. And Jesus, as soon as they got in the boat, what happens? Everything calmed. Everything calmed. The sea was calm again. And the disciples 
began to worship Jesus and they said, truly, you are the son of God. This is the first time in the Gospels where all the disciples said that Jesus was the son of God. They realized if you can walk on water and you can control the, the, the wind, the waves, you can give Peter the ability, you must be God. And their response was worship. Their response was worship. So as we close, the challenge for you today is this. What step of crazy faith is God calling you to do? Is he calling you to walk on the water? Is he calling you to do something that you don't feel like you have all the details yet, but you feel the direction? If so, here's today's big idea. Let's throw it on the screen. Today's big idea, how do you become a wet water walker instead of a dry boat talker? It's this. You take a step of crazy faith when Jesus calls your name. So this is not a call to recklessness or doing something in the name of Jesus he never called you to do. This is when Jesus truly calls you, and you have to make sure you're called. Abraham would have been reckless if he left everything he had to follow God, and except for the fact he truly heard God's voice. And you, you, you interpret that by the scriptures, by Christian community. Did I hear God's voice, or did I just eat too much pizza last night? God does speak, but you have to interpret it through the scriptures and make sure. So five applications as we close this, that I really want this message to stick I don't want anyone at Arden to stay a dry boat talker. Like, yeah, I'm watching you. It's like the armchair quarterback, you know, football season's coming. And like, this is nobody in this church, but people in other churches, we haven't worked out in years. But man, I could throw better than Aaron Rodgers. And we're, we're given all these commands, but you try it. See how well you do, right? So here's the thing. Here's how we do it. Number one is develop a private prayer life. Private prayer is the fuel of the Christian adventure. So if you want the adventure fueled and you want the chance to step out on the water, you want to have that faith, it starts with private prayer life. Second application, sea storms is an opportunity in disguise. What if the storm is not meant to destroy you but to develop you? What if God is allowing this and you're following him? Notice Jesus sent the disciples in the storm. It wasn't a storm of correction. It was a storm of perfection to mature their faith. Number three, when Jesus calls on you to the extraordinary, take that step of crazy faith. Like, don't just sit there. Man, I can imagine John and the other disciples said, don't you wish you would have taken that step? Peter, crazy Peter is the only one that got to experience this miracle. Don't miss out. Number four, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus even when life is hard. Peter would have continued in the miracle had he not got his eyes off. What happened with Peter, instead of focusing on the Christ of the storm, he focused on the circumstances of the storm. Keep your eyes fixed on the Christ of the storm, the Savior who is in the storm. And finally, let worship be your response every time God rescues you. Worship should be your response before the storm. You should be worshiping in the storm. And as you get out of the storm, notice the disciples' response. They worship Jesus as the Son of God. So how many wet water walkers do we have in the place today? Amen. Online, how many wet water walkers? If you want to experience great things, keep on following the great Savior. And when he calls your name, when he says, come, take that step of crazy faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can walk upon the water when you call our name. And that may look like different things for each person. It may mean taking that step to call the person that needs reconciling with. It may mean taking the step to have that tough conversation with a family member. It may mean 
I'm going to teach this class even though I don't know if anyone's going to show up. It may mean I'm going to share the gospel with my coworker who's an atheist. I don't know what it looks like. But God, as a believer, help us to take steps of crazy faith when we call your name. And God, we ask that you would forgive us for unbelief. Forgive us where we stay in the boat and we remain a dry boat talker instead of having the unique opportunity to be a wet water walker. As the believers continue to pray, there may be one here today that you've never asked Jesus to save you. You've never become part of his family. And the Bible says that if you're willing to invite Jesus into your life, he, he stands and he says, come, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary. Come to me, all you who are lost. Come. And if you have never accepted Jesus, right now is the time. You don't have to have all the details But you do need to know that Jesus loves you. He died for you and he rose again and he invites you into relationship through faith and through repentance. So right where you're at, whether here or online, if you've never taken that first step of faith, I want you to say this prayer. Say, Jesus, I'm going to come to you. Jesus, you've come to me today and I do receive what you did for me on the cross. Through dying for my sins and through raising the third day, I receive that. And Jesus, I pray that you would forgive me of all my sins. I don't want to stay in this boat of sin any longer. I want to take that first step of faith to follow you from this day forward and even forevermore. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, please let us know. Father, receive our thanks for being the Savior of the storm. Help us to walk upon the water in Jesus' name. Amen.